This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone. It is Bryce and Ren here, co-founders of Equity Mates Media, and we're here to announce our IPO. That's right. Equity Mates' initial party offering is here FinFest is coming. We're calling all bulls, bears, and party animals. The market's closed, the bar is open, and we're trading ideas at Australia's biggest investing festival. With expert speakers, special guests, DJs, and booze, it's an inspiring and empowering event for investors of any level of experience. So save the date, 15th of October, 2022. Head to equitymates.com slash FinFest to register your interest today. Equitymates FinFest is powered by Stake. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett's status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this interview. We are joined by a fund manager all the way from New York. Yes, love uh, it. And I'm excited to uh, get stuck in. It is our absolute pleasure to welcome Thomas Valenzuela to the studio, Tom. Thomas, welcome. Thank you. And please call me Tom. Will do. Tom is Chief Investment Officer for Stewart Asset Management, a New York-based asset manager, as Ren said, who aim to compound client capital through a concentrated portfolio of quality US equities. Over the past five years, Stewart Asset Management has returned 23% per annum compared to 17% for the S&P 500 total return. Tom has worked in financial markets for over 40 years and brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to this conversation today. So we're going to be un- Packing all things Stuart Asset Management, Tom's views on markets today, and just general discussion on everything that's going on in equities. Yeah, but Tom, before we get into that, we love to start with uh, the story of someone's first investment. We generally find there's a good story or perhaps a good lesson that comes out of it. So to kick us off today, can you tell us the story of your first investment? Well, if you if you allow me, I'll give you two. The first one was I, when I was in high school. I had an uncle who was a doctor and investor, and he paid for medical school uh, by investing at a very early age. And so I, he owned shares in Chevron back then, called Standard Oil of California. And I bought one or two shares for myself, all the five hundred dollars. But what might be of more interest to your audience, particularly those in Australia is that my first real investment was in 1979, and I bought shares in an Australian company. 
Okay. And so at the time, I was working at Morgan Stanley, and the partners at Morgan Stanley had invested their own personal capital in two companies that were in Queensland uh, that had rights to oil shale project there. And they were called Southern Pacific Petroleum and Central Pacific Petroleum. Uh, and so being young, callow youth, I was looking to make some quick money. And I've noticed over the course of my career that males all love to trade and make quick money and most of the time lose money. Yeah. But in any event, as a, I was a young man right out of university uh, working for, for uh, working on this project. And I looked around to see if there are any companies that owned any rights, mineral rights to where these two companies, Southern Pacific and Central Pacific, owned their oil shale rights. And again, in Queensland, around Gladstone. Mm. And so in any event, I bought shares in this company. And in about a year's time, they went up three or four fold. And of course, you know, uh, as a young man, you you love to trade. (laughs) And so I traded them. And that's how I paid for business school. Oh, no. So that was oh, wow. my first real investment uh, in 1979 as oil was going from $16 a barrel to $54 a barrel, not unlike the present environment. Yeah, so, and that sort of got me hooked on investing. Thankfully, uh, I sort of learned over time that really it's more important to work hard, be patient, and be long-term if you want to make real money. Mm-hmm. And that's precisely what we do here at uh, at Stewart Asset Management. So that was my first investment. Nice, successful one by the sound of yeah. it. And before we unpack uh, Stuart, you know, Tom, there's there's been um, uh, a lot of change in markets from that very first investment to today. So we'd love to hear some of your thoughts around some of the biggest changes that you've observed, but also some of the things that remain sort of true as ever. You know, the biggest thing that's really changed for someone in my position who really does this every day, day in, day out, looking for companies, looking for investments, looking for shares that are going to go up over a long period of time and create wealth for our our clients, uh, is really the information. There's much more information about companies now than there was when I was uh, first starting in the 1980s. And that's really the big, big change. And that actually is helpful to individual investors, too. Uh, And I do want to make that point that individual investors can really do well for themselves. Again, if you're dedicated and you work hard uh, at it. So uh, but that's the biggest change. Now, if you're asking what hasn't changed, that's almost equally as important because human behavior doesn't change. So this whole impulse towards fear and greed has not changed at all. And we have seen just over the last 12 months a good deal of greed right, last year, particularly in certain areas of the market, and now a good deal of fear mm. in certain and many, most areas of the market. And that's the, probably the biggest thing that remains the same. What I've also seen that hasn't changed over the years is that if you have a sound philosophy and a good strategy in investing and you stick to it and you add hard work to it, Uh, you can really earn really good returns for yourself. Mm. Uh, And that's an important lesson to learn. And you really can uh, live through the retrenchments and the bear markets and the slumps if you really can put some time into it, uh, hard work, and you have a really sound philosophy and strategy. And that that's really important to emphasize, I think. Well, Tom, in your uh, 40 years in in, uh, in financial markets, you would have seen so, so much change. Um, and 
I guess in that time uh, working, you know, where you've worked, have you developed a personal investing philosophy? Yes. So that started very early on when I worked at a firm called Lazard Frere in New York. Uh, and then it evolved when I met Bill Stewart, who is a, a, he and I are the founders of this firm. Uh, and uh, I worked for him, uh, worked with him previously at a firm called WP Stewart uh, as well, as well as, a, and I was the chief investment officer there. And so one of the things I found early on in my career is buying high quality companies that grow and paying a reasonable price for those shares, maintaining a long-term perspective can really make you real money uh, over time. And that's important. And then, you know, we really, uh, uh, the Stewart philosophy is really all about that. Now, there are some other techniques that we use in terms of valuation that are time-tested that we've been using since 1975 that have been really, really helpful uh, to our investing. And that and that's important. But the really the big thing is really high quality companies, because in times like this, when you're undergoing uh, a retrenchment uh, in share prices or when you're going through an awful bear market slump like March of 2020, you really want to own high quality companies that are growing as well. Uh, for, so, for example, Johnson & Johnson is a very high-quality company. Coke is a very high-quality company, but they really don't grow that quickly. So if you can find a company, high-quality, growing faster than the, uh, the market as a whole, the S&P 500, uh, and pay a reasonable price for it, you'll do quite well over time. And we have specific valuation techniques to tell us what price to pay that are time-tested. But those are really the three critical instances. Now, look, there are a lot of ways of making money, and some people are brilliant traders, but there are very few brilliant traders that have been able to sustain their record over decades. Mm -hmm. I've had a business partner who worked for George Soros, my senior partner, Bill Stewart, managed money for Soros at one time, clearly a brilliant trader who's been able to do things very, very well uh, uh, over decades. But that only happens, there are only one or two of them every generation, if even that many. So for the rest of us, what really works is just following those three things, high quality companies, reasonable prices, maintaining a long perspective. And I might say, uh, relevant to Australians, where I, I believe you have a very high tax regime, it's good to avoid the tax man if you have a, it's good, <laughs> it's good, you avoid paying money to the tax man if you're long term, at least in the States. I don't know what your laws are like, but I do understand you have a, a good tough tax regime there too in Australia. <laughs> Yeah, love that philosophy, Tom. And we are about to unpack Stuart in a bit more detail. But uh, before we jumped on the call, you mentioned that uh, Stuart had uh, a bit of a connection back through to the father of value investing, Ben Graham. So are you able to unpack that a little for us? And then we'll jump sure, into... Certainly, certainly. I mean, it's an interesting story. We don't talk too much about it, but I thought it might be of interest to, uh, to your audience. So way back when, in the 1960s, uh, one of the uh, original founders of our firm, uh, Bob Kahn, who's no longer with us, actually studied directly with Ben Graham at Columbia Business School. And Bill Stewart himself studied with one of Ben Graham's partners in Graham's partnership, Graham Newman, back in the 1960s. So one of the things that we say about ourselves, uh, with a little tongue in cheek, but it's actually quite true, we apply Ben Graham to growth stocks. <laughs> and that's what we do. 
and and so it's very interesting because if you see, if you read Ben Graham's Intelligent Investor, what you will actually find in there, there is far more mention of earnings and earnings growth than you would ever suspect. It's almost in every chapter. And in fact, he devotes several full chapters to earnings growth, earnings, earnings quality, and what one ought to pay for that. It's really quite fascinating. I would urge every one of your individual investors in, uh, to, to read that book. It's a terrific book mm-hmm. uh, and really can, can make you uh, really help any investor. And we certainly use it. It's a real reference. I have a, I have a fully annotated copy at home. <laughs> Love that. Well, in the spirit of uh, taking Ben Graham's learnings and applying it to growth investing, we'd love to sort of unpack your process because you know we hear a number of investors talk about looking for long-term compounders. And, you know, Bryce and I like to think we're still young. So um, uh, we feel, you know, we want to invest with a long-term time horizon, but it can be difficult to really navigate the amount of companies out there that you that you can invest in and really find those gems. Uh, so we want to pick your brain and, and understand how you do it. So starting with the whole US market, every company that you have to choose from, how do you and the team start to filter that down into an investable universe? Sure. Let me break that down into two things, if I may. Just talk a little bit about our criteria in a sort of a high-level sense, and then talk about our actual process, which I think is also important to talk Mm. about. So we have 10 criteria. Let me just throw out uh, for your audience the most important of those. First and foremost, we're looking for businesses that are involved in or selling into growing end markets. Because again, if our philosophy is earnings growth, we want uh, ideally organic growth, but we do own companies that grow by acquisitions. But growing end markets is really important. And global growing end markets or end markets that are companies that can uh, sell into growing end markets here in the States or, and sell into them as they become international as well is also very important. So that's really the A number one criteria that we're looking for is really revenue growth, companies that are selling into growing end markets. The other thing we look for is dominant companies. We look for companies that are one or two in their industry. Now, what we also look for, and there's been very fertile grounds to look at, and again, this is a Ben Graham, we use a lot of Ben Graham terminology at our firm, is what we call primary companies and secondary companies. We're looking for primary companies, again, big, dominant companies. And what's the definition of a secondary company? The secondary company is basically a company that's smaller, less seasoned, but even a big company can be a, 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 a secondary company. So one of the criteria we apply is if it, the company uh, dried up and blew away tomorrow, would you miss it? <laughs> so here in the States, there's a, comp- a retailer called J.C. Penney. Hmm. If J.C. Penney dried up and blew away, which it did, would anybody miss it? No one would miss it. That's a secondary company. Yeah, yeah. A primary company is, would you miss Amazon? Yes. If it stopped doing business <laughs> tomorrow. Or, for example, my understanding is, is that there are, uh, oh, gosh, I, I think about 15 Costco stores in Australia. And most Costco shoppers love Costco. So if Costco dried up and blew away tomorrow, would they miss it? Yes, they would. And so that's our definition of primary and secondary. Uh, are companies that are secondary companies that are on the cusp of becoming primary cus- uh, companies. And that happens over time. Uh, for example, years ago, we owned Home Depot. And I can tell you another story about investing 
and investing for the long term concerning Home Depot. But if you think about Home Depot, it was a small company at one point with 30, 40, 50 stores, and now it has over 1,000 stores. So it was a secondary company when we first looked at it, now very much a primary company. I would say the same thing about a company we own now called Floor & Decor. Uh, it's not in Australia, but they have about 100 stores. Well, I have 100 plus stores. We think they can go to 500. Clear, in some ways, a secondary company, but clearly we believe will become a primary company over time. The other thing that we phrase we use a lot is growth at scale. And other people say, uh, does it have operating leverage? In other words, as the sales grow, do more dollars come to the bottom line? Do more dollars turn into profit? That's an important criteria for us as well. Uh, and then the other is a high reinvestment rate. Does the company have a lot of investment opportunities in its own business? Now, look, you can invest in companies that throw off a lot of free cash and they buy in shares and they raise the dividend. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we have found is companies that have a high reinvestment rate. So if they, they generate operating ca uh, cash, that's very good. They may generate some free cash, but companies that have a lot of uh, reinvestment opportunities with that free cash, that's also important for us as well. And then, obviously, as I just described, another way you could say what I was just saying is companies that are self-financing. Now, a lot of the companies that have kind of, their share price has really slumped in the last six months have really companies that have not been self-financing. They've been, really been losing money. Uh, they've not been generating either operating cash or free cash. We avoid those kinds of companies. And then lastly, and this is very important criteria, almost as, or as important as really companies that are, uh, the, uh, uh, that are selling into growing end markets, is it an exceptional management? Is it really a strong, exceptional management? And uh, So that's all, also important. And we have to get to know managements to know whether or not they're exceptional or not. So for us, management do count. I know I have colleagues from business school who have become very famous uh, global investors uh, who really say, no, managements don't count. It's all about the valuation. For us, managements count. And those are the main criteria of the 10 that we use that we're trying to apply to the companies that we look at here in the United States. So you can see that in that process, you can winnow out a whole lot of companies. Uh, that it, Some are very fine companies. There's nothing wrong with that. They're just not growing. Yeah. Uh, and we think the odds are of paying a fair price for a growing company, the odds of making really good money, making multiples on your capital over time, which is our intent, is much higher when we're investing our clients' capital in those kinds of businesses. Mm. Well, Tom, speaking of assessing management, it's it's a part of the process that so many experts we speak to put a lot of focus and importance on, but it is very difficult for retail investors, Ren and I, to actually make good judgment calls on management just purely because we don't have the access that fund managers do to be able to sit down with them in the room and ask the hard questions. So how do you actually approach meeting management and what are some of the good signs or red flags that you look for? when you're assessing a management team. Certainly, yes. But let me just, you, you said one thing that's really intriguing about you know retail investors and so forth. And I think it's a little bit of a fallacy that you can't come to as good judgments as we because when it comes to managements. And the reason why I say that is because going back to the first thing I said, how have markets changed? One is information. Just go on YouTube. YouTube has so much information, so many interviews with management. Now, maybe you won't be able to shake hands with them like we can, but you can really see them 
uh, you can spend a lot of time with managements just online as they give presentations or as they're interviewed on YouTube in a way you never could 30 years ago or 40 years ago. That er erodes one of the big advantages that big institutional investors have over individual investors. And I cannot emphasize that enough. And I would just say do that because then you can develop judgment, your own judgment about figuring out whether a management is really a strong management or weak management. Because at the end of the day, it's really about people. You are choosing, we are choosing to invest our capital, our clients' capital with people, with the management really at the end of the day. And if we follow our other criteria, we're going to be invested in good businesses. But every good business needs a really good management. And if you really want to make exceptional returns, you have to be invested with an exceptional management. Now, how do we exactly do that? So it's been tough to be perfectly blunt under COVID because what we do is we like to make on-site visits. We like to go to see companies. We like to see the, 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 the animal in its lair, so to speak. We like to have personal relationships with them. I can think of a company, you know, for example, they have stores in Australia, TJ Maxx. The founder of TJ Maxx was a tremendous retailer. And they revolutionized retailing, and certainly in the United States. And at one point earlier in my career, I knew uh, the, the founder, CEO, chairman quite well. I had his home phone number. This was really in the era before cell, everybody had a cell phone. So I used to call him at home sometimes. Uh, and the same with the CFO. Now, there are ways that you do that. You go to conferences, you go up to management, you start asking them questions, informed questions that show them that you've done your work. Uh, and they take a liking to you. Uh, and they understand that you want to know more about their business and that you understand their business, not as well as they. And so once you prove your bona fides that you've really done your work on their management, and in fact, you are long term, right, you really start to cultivate a relationship with management. The other thing I've also found, again, for your younger listeners, is that older guys like me always want to help young people particularly young people who ask good questions. Hmm. And so I would urge your, your younger viewers to, to, to go and ask good questions because young, old guys always want to help young people who are curious and intelligent. It's just the rule of life. And I've used that a lot when I was younger. Now I have to figure out other ways of getting close <laughs> to management. So, Tom, uh, you uh, filter the U.S. market down to an investable universe. Uh, you assess management as part of that. Uh, you have, uh, from from what we could read on your website, you end up with a universe of about 40 stocks and then you like to run uh, quite a concentrated portfolio from there. So, how do you then uh, make those portfolio management decisions? I assume uh, valuation becomes a big factor here. Why do you prioritize concentration um, in, in the portfolio? That's a very good question. So there are a lot of questions in there. Let me, let me yeah. uh, firstly, let me just say that when you think about these 10 criteria and you apply it to, let's say, the Russell 1000 or the S&P 500, they're really not 10, 20% of them, maybe uh, something like that. Of the S&P 500, maybe 5, 8% of the Russell 1000 fall into that criteria, right? Where you really can see the qualities in a business that'll allow you to own it for years and make multiples on your money. So at any one time, it's really about 40, 60 companies in that universe, those two universes, if you think about it. Uh, and then after that, we've done all our work, uh, and, I, and it's an important part of our process they want to describe right now. What we do do is we build very detailed earnings forecasts about every one of those 50 companies. 
whether it's a profit and loss statement, cash flows, balance sheets, uh, their business lines, their various divisions, their various geographies, et cetera, et cetera. So we come up with a five-year earnings forecast. And then we use that uh, in our valuation techniques. That's where we really decide to own, uh, make our investment decisions. So it's about, do we want to be within this business? Do we want to be invested with this management? And is this a valuation that can really, we believe, give us a high probability of doubling our client's capital over the next five years? The last part of that, what do we actually own? Well, that filter is really valuation. Mm. And that a lot of that is where Ben Graham comes in at that point. Now, without complicating things too much, and stop me if I am, so if you think about we have a five-year earnings projection, right? So if a company is selling at 20 times earnings right now, and the earnings are growing at 15% a year, which is what we try to manage to in the portfolio, we try to build the portfolio whose earnings are growing at 15% a year, twice the rate of the S&P 500. It's selling at 20 times right now. We're actually paying 10 times earnings five years out. So we've amortized that price-earnings ratio from 20 down to 10. Now, if it's a great company like we think it is, great management, end market, dominant or becoming dominant, then it's not going to sell at 20 times earnings in five years. It's certainly not going to sell at 16 or 17 times, which is a market long-term market price-earnings ratio. It's probably going to trade at a premium to 20. Uh, so that's how we think about valuation. And so we can come back to that later when you, when you ask me about current conditions in the market. But that's our sort of, if you want to call it a secret sauce in how we look at things. It's that last part of it that's our valuation discipline. And we have these valuation history, if you will, going back to 1975 that really tell through various interest rate environments that tell us what we should be paying for these really high quality, quick, rapidly growing companies. But again, the key to it is really to figure out a company whose earnings are growing at twice the rate or thereabouts or even higher than the S&P 500. And that's what is very important for us to do. Well, Tom, speaking of uh, market conditions, we would love to get your thoughts on what's going on. But before we do, we're just going to take a very quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
So, Tom, you mentioned the uh, valuations and there's so much happening in markets at the moment. We've seen the the NASDAQ and the S&P both fall, you know, beyond 10% uh, here in Australia as well. I think the ASX 200 has just touched on 10% correction as well. But that does provide some pretty exciting opportunities for investors. So how are you approaching this uh, market correction at the moment? And are there any areas of the market that you are paying particular attention to? Yes. What's happened, what, what's created some of these really interesting opportunities right now. And, you know, it's, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough environment, but there are a lot of interesting, good, valuable, investable opportunities emerging. And part of what's happened, part of the reason why is because if you look at the compression and price earnings ratios in the last four or five months, it's really gone uh, from 22, 23 times in the S&P down to under 20 times right now. And in our portfolios, I've also seen that price earnings ratio compression. You can also say it's happened not only sort of at the front end of price earnings ratio, but also on earnings five years out. So in our portfolio, we've seen the earnings go from about 15 times, which from our point of view really starts to be, we start to lose that margin of safety another Ben Graham phrase. But now it's at about 11, 12 times. And that's a really good investable level for us. It doesn't mean prices won't go down another 10% or another 12%, but that's a really good long-term investable level. So let me just uh, help help you understand that perspective. So in March of 2020, after that big slump, that bear market 30% collapse in share prices, our portfolio was trading at about 11 times earnings five years out. Now, subsequent to that, our portfolios have more than doubled since that low the last week in March. Now, let's go back to 2008. At year-end 2008, our portfolios were trading at just over 10 times earnings five years out. Now, they went down another 15 18% to March of 2009. But if you look at that portfolio, if you had bought that portfolio at year-end 2008, trading at around 10 times earnings five years out, which is about the low water mark that we've seen in the last 20, 25 years, you would have made about 18% on your money for the next five years. So you would have been made about three times on your money in the next five years, investing in great, wonderful companies that were growing that had good managements. Mm. You can't, I, that, that's a really, for me, that's really a great way. And for our clients is really a great way to think about investing, we think. So yes, share prices could come in more. The retrenchment is probably not over, but we're starting to see an investable level in the portfolio. And we're starting to see what, what some investors would call you know, uh, valuation support. Uh, in the market. Uh, but again, you know, we may see prices come in some more, but this is a very interesting uh, period in which to really kind of sharpen your pencil and to say, what do we want to buy more of? Or for those of uh, those who have cash, what do we want to uh, invest our cash in? What do we want to invest our capital in? We're investing in some really good companies and they're selling at a pretty reasonable long-term valuation. So, you know, look, you don't want to be complacent. Uh, but I do think there are some emerging opportunities uh, now in the marketplace. And I think you've got to put it in perspective that over long periods of time, decades, you live through these 20% bear market slumps. And if I may just give you one example of long-term investing, and it's important to maintain your long-term perspective now. 
And again, this goes back to uh, in, uh, when I was earlier in my career. In 1985, I bought $10,000 worth of Home Depot, and it went up, uh, and it went up to $16,000 in about three or four months. And I thought, well, yippee, yippee, yippee! I'm going to sell it. I'm a genius, et cetera, et cetera. 1985. I sold it. I booked a nice profit, $6,000 on an investment of $10,000. I always ask everybody when I talk about long-term investing, how much do you think those $10,000 would be worth today had I left it in those shares of Home Depot in 1980? Actually, I think it was 1986. Do you want to take a guess or would you like me to tell you? Tell us, but it'd be a lot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I imagine it's going to be a lot. It'll be six, few seven figures, yeah. <laughs> Fourteen and a half million dollars. Oh wow. no! Wow. <laughs> you can't do that maths to yourself, Tom. That that's painful. <laughs> yes, it is painful. Uh, and so, but you, that's the way you want to think. So, for example, we have Mastercard. Mastercard is a you know, obviously present in Australia. Mm. We bought it on the uh, initial public offering in two thousand and seven. We've lived through. Think of the bear market. We lived through oh eight. Yeah. We lived through a couple of 20 percent uh, corrections uh, during the euro crisis. We lived through uh, tw- uh, 2020. Uh, we're living through this one. But yet, had you bought it on the IPO, uh, as we did for clients, you will have made about 35 percent a year wow. from 2007 to the present. Wow. So you really want to think about the long term when you think about things. And, and this is very painful what we're going through right now. Let's not deny it. Uh, and it's tough to see your statement at month end go down in value. But you really, if you're really invested in these great companies that are growing, you can, and they're only a handful at any one time, uh, you, you really can make a lot of money. Mm. But you have to, you have to, it, it's, it's not always easy. You have to keep your wits about you. And that, that's hard. Yeah. I think that's a really important uh, point to stress. You know, there's so many reasons to be worried in the short term. Um, you know, there's interest rate rises, there's inflation, there's tangled supply chains. Um, but I think, you know, what the point you've just made there is, is such a, an important one for long-term investors. So, Tom, we mentioned that in, in these moments there's opportunity and we'd love to know uh, if there are any companies that have been added to your investable universe uh, in this moment. Uh, I'm sure all of your analysts, all of your team are, are frantically searching the market, trying to find the best opportunities in this moment and would love to sort of hear what you're finding. Sure. Well, what, what we did do is we bought recently, uh, we bought some more shares in that small U.S. company that I told you about. It's not so small, actually. Uh, Floor and Decor. We think it has all the earmarkings of being another Home Depot. Uh, that's not a prediction, but that's just our, our, our best judgment right now. Uh, it's an exciting, very well-managed little company. I say little, it's not so little actually. <laughs> uh, and the valuation is actually becoming very uh, appealing right now. Uh, so that's one. We also think the long-term prospects for Amazon continue to be very good. We think the revenue growth will be good. Uh, it'll certainly be in double digit. But more importantly, the businesses that are really growing for them are their really high margin businesses. The retailing businesses obviously have lower margins, razor thin margins. Uh, but a lot of, but AWS, their cloud business, their advertising business, uh, those are, those are businesses that are, uh, that are growing at scale, meaning to say they have a lot of operating leverage. So I think that the earnings are really going to grow very rapidly for Amazon over the next five years. And we're very excited about that. Plus they are also investing a lot in their retail, particularly last mile 
uh, and uh, they have the cash flow to do so, uh, and they have a very good record in doing that, and we think that they will remain dominant in that area of online digital commerce in the United States. Uh, so that's another. Another one that we bought shares in was Disney, uh, which we have uh, been bullish on now for quite some time. They did a magnificent job during COVID. Uh, the Disney parks are now uh, higher in revenue than they were pre-COVID, and I think that's really saying something. Uh, their streaming business is doing quite well, grown faster than their own predictions over the last two and a half years since they launched it. Uh, and they are now they generate good 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 uh, good operating cash flow, which they are now uh, investing into putting more entertainment uh, online. And I think that's very good. Think what that's done. Now Netflix share prices come back quite a lot. But think what investing in content has done for Netflix over the last ten years. And if anybody can do it, certainly Disney can. Now, obviously, that business is becoming more competitive, and we're quite conscious of that. But we still think that Disney, has very strong earnings power over the next five years. Mm. Uh, and I think it's going to be quite good uh, uh, for shareholders. So uh, those are some of the companies that we've been uh, adding, putting more more capital into uh, in, the, in the last oh, 30 days. We always ask Tom, uh, you know, for fund managers to let us know, yeah, as you've just said, what, what uh, companies they're putting money into or what's going on to their watch list. But it's just as interesting to understand what's coming out of the funds or what's coming out of the universe. So are there any stocks that yes. you've just put on the rubbish heap? Yes, yes, yes. So two on the rubbish heap. Well, I think they're good companies. The, the two I'm about to say, we just, uh, we're just a little concerned about some of the trends and whether or not they'll involve, evolve into long-term negative trends. We uh, actually sold our shares uh, at a very good profit in uh, Facebook uh, back at the beginning of the year. Uh, and we had owned it for about six years or so, uh, and we were concerned about some of the changes that Apple had made and uh, and their ad business. Uh, and uh, we think that probably some of the things that are happening are to the benefit of platforms like uh, uh, Amazon and Google, and not to the benefit of of Facebook. So. But clearly, they've been brilliant uh, in operators and strategically, and they generate an enormous amount of cash. We're also a little bit concerned about them spending $50 million on the metaverse. That's another concern that we had. The other one that we had sold, uh, we sold it last year, actually. Uh, we sold PayPal. And so you asked us, you asked me earlier about areas in the market that we were looking at. Five years ago, we identified four, four areas in the market that we wanted to look at, one of which was what's called fintech or payments and so forth. We have a large investment, as I described, for a number of years now in uh, MasterCard. We bought PayPal about, oh gosh, I think it was in the spring of 2016. It was about 38, 39 was our average cost. We sold it last year at a, for a good profit. Uh, we thought that the business it was it was very highly valued at the time. I mean, I think it was selling at around forty or fifty times. And it, when when a, a, a shares sell that expensively, it puts a great deal of demand on the earnings growth. You need a very high earnings growth rate to amortize that very high PE. And that again is very much at the at the heart of our valuation process. So for us, it was a good business. Uh, they'd done terrifically well in the previous five years, but it was very expensive. And we saw the whole space becoming more competitive 
that could kind of nip at the heels of of, uh, of some of the big guys like PayPal uh, and, and even MasterCard. PayPal is an interesting company because there's an example of a company that was a secondary company that arguably became a primary company over the last five, six years at the heart of the payment process. Still a good company, very low valuation. Doesn't mean we won't, we may not buy it back, but uh, but we did sell it because of valuation and increased competition. So PayPal, maybe not quite on the rubbish heap, as Bryce <laughs> said, maybe just on the, uh, it was on the expensive heap for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Meta on yeah, the rubbish heap though. Meta, yeah, Meta on yeah. the rubbish heap. <laughs> well, Tom, look, we are uh, almost out of time. Um, we could talk uh, markets all day, but we want to say a massive thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, we do like to always end with the same final three questions. Uh, but before then, um, uh, is there anywhere people should go if they want to follow you online uh, or read um, more from yourself or Stuart Asset Management? Yes, of course. Well, th- there is our website and there are a lot of things on there on our website. And if you go to one of the tabs, I forget exactly which one it is, but I believe it's right on the fir- fr- first page of our website. Uh, you can see what uh, uh, Bill Stewart and my colleagues write about markets over time. We uh, wrote one recently that's on our website called Food for Thought, which was about this whole phenomenon, the compression of price-earnings ratios uh, and the emerging opportunities. Very similar to what we wrote in the first week in March of 2020, we wrote something called Emerging Opportunities. That I would certainly recommend uh, to everyone. When we do have other things on our on our website, and there, if you're interested about our top ten holdings or top five holdings, which are about forty percent plus of the portfolio, so it's it's a good chunk of it. You can see it right there. We publish it monthly. I first came across uh, yourself and Stuart Asset Management from one of those uh, letters, uh, so they're they're definitely worth a read. Um, but Tom, we'll get into the final three questions, and the first one is. Do you have any books that you consider must-read? Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, Ben Graham's uh, 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 book, uh, The Intelligent Investor, or maybe I didn't mention it by title, but certainly The Intelligent Investor, uh, that's one. Uh, I think the introductory book by uh, Bill O'Neill is uh, also very helpful. Uh, And so while you might call him a trader, it has a lot of useful uh, thing observations that long-term investors would find very helpful. I think that's very important. I think the other book that's uh, really a must-read as well is by a very famous MIT uh, financial uh, historian called Charles Kindleberger called Manias, Panics, and Crashes. Because you've asked me what changed and what didn't change. Well, ma- the whole notion of manias, panics, and crashes has not changed in 500 years. Uh, so that's that's also very important. So I think those are the those are three great places to start for any investor. Nice one. Love those three recommendations. Uh, the next question: uh, Forget valuation. What they're trading at today, just on pure business fundamentals. Uh, what's the best company you've ever come across? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> I've ever come across. Yeah, it's oh, we, it's a big question. We know, but we love to end on a big question here. Sure, sure. Uh, I think it would be Home Depot. It hits all the 10 criteria that we talked about. We owned it for a long time. Uh, I would think that MasterCard as well uh, hits all 10 criteria. Though, as I've said, you know, you want to be on guard for increasing competition in their business. Certainly, Amazon is another one that we've owned for, 
I don't know, since 2002, didn't quite buy at the bottom on that one, <laughs> but, uh, but it's turned, it's worked out quite well. The other one I would say is TJ Maxx, great retailer that, that really was a disruptor that revolutionized things as well. And then the, the other that we own, uh, was precision cast parts, which was bought by Berkshire Hathaway. Mm. So, uh, and if you go back and look at it from the time that they revolutionized uh, aircraft engines uh, and aerospace, uh, that was in the late 80s and had you held it through, uh, at that time it was $250 million in mark market cap and Berkshire Hathaway paid $50 billion for it. Wow. So again, those are, those are the ones that always come to mind that I always use. I would say to younger investors that just, and I say it to our, my younger colleagues here, about every 15 to 20 months, you will find a company that will compound or that will double every five years or so that you can own for the next five, seven, 10 years. They're out there. It takes some hard work and dedication, but they are definitely out there. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Well, Tom, uh, the final question that we like to end every interview with, if you think back to your early days uh, in finance, when you were looking at uh, Australian oil companies up in Queensland, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, I would say accumulate a nest egg of capital that you won't need to buy a house or to get married or to have children and just orient yourself towards trying to double your capital every five years uh, in by investing in high quality, really strong companies. And you can do it and they're out there. And so if you follow kind of Peter Lynch's advice and Bill O'Neill's advice, invest in what you know, invest what's around. Uh, there's plenty of information to find those kinds of companies. Uh, and that would be my best advice. Just try to accumulate a nest egg that you won't need uh, and try to compound. Awesome. Well, great way to finish there, Tom. And we certainly appreciate you sharing your time all the way from New York. We love speaking to you guys over there. So thank you very much. All the best with uh, everything that's going on with markets. And uh, we'll, we look forward to checking in again with you at some point. So thank you very much. Thank you, fellas. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. 
We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.